Pop, co-creator of Teen Brain Trust and one of the hosts of the Hope Punk Parenting Podcast. This is a short-form podcast for anyone raising a teenager. At Teen Brain Trust, we bring together a community of mental health experts, neuroscientists, educators, and parents like me to demystify adolescents, help adults build better relationships with teenagers, and empower the next generation of changemakers. Today, I'm very excited to be joined by Barb Buckner Suarez. Barb works with parents of all ages, but her focus is on helping parents navigate the beginning of parenthood and understand what becoming a parent means for them and their lives. We first got wind of Barb because, like us, she places a lot of importance on helping parents understand what's happening in the brain. Unlike us, however, she talks about the changes in our brains, the parents' brains, and how those changes impact the way we see the world and interact with our kids and partners. She is the mother of four adolescent kids herself, and in our interview, you'll hear us dig into how those changes affect us as parents as our kids move through the various ages and stages until they ultimately launch and go out on their own. But enough from me. Let's dive in and hear directly from the woman herself. Thank you so much, Barb, for being with us here today on the podcast. I know so much about your incredible work, um, and I'm excited for all of our listeners to know more about what it is that you do. So tell us a little bit about yourself and, and the work you do with parents. Okay, so I am really excited to be here first and foremost, but um, I am a health educator, and I would consider myself a parenthood guide. Um, so I have worked with thousands of families over 25 plus years, um, preparing folks for birth, um, through pregnancy for sure. And then, uh, what happens on the other side, the baby comes out now, what do we do? Um, I like to consider myself not an expert. I think that's a really important piece that I just kind of want to throw out there. Um, I think parenthood is really an individual experience and I'd love to encourage folks to find their own way as opposed to being like, oh, you should do it the way that I'm saying you should do it. I, I, I'm not into that. So uh, a guide as opposed to an expert. So we'll dive in. We got connected um, to you because you use neuroscience in your work with parents. And I, for one, for sure know how important neuroscience is um, to parenting. But how do you think knowing this stuff about the brain actually benefits parents? Tell us a little bit about that and your expertise there. So I think that the the thing to remember all the time is parenthood is honestly about relationship, like from even before the baby shows up, honestly, there's a relationship that's already building even when you're a pregnant person and the baby's inside of you. And then on the other side of it, it's like a continuous, developing, evolving, ongoing, never-ending relationship. And so knowing about your own brain and how it works and knowing that you're in relationship with this other person and that you're going to move through states of dysregulation and co-regulation with each other can be incredibly helpful. Knowing how your own brain works and then actually understanding potentially how your little person's brain is working can be incredibly helpful. The baby comes into the world and they're like a giant bundle of nerve endings, truly. And they're kind of like, what has happened? I, ha I was in this like amazing space inside of you. All of my needs were taken care of. It was really um, kind of mellow noises were all muffled. It was like, you know, I wasn't hungry. I didn't know anything about that stuff. And I'm here in the world and it's like, what is happening? Like, yeah, Our I job in that newborn time is to be like, I'm here. 
And I'm going to help all of those like frayed nerve endings kind of like come together. That's like the initial piece, right? Like I'm going to allow you to borrow my neurons for lack of a better way of saying it so that you can figure out what the hell just happened to you and how to make it actually work. <laughs> That's kind of the, the initial time. And then it changes, right? As the child moves through ages and stages, then we have to actually kind of figure out how to co-regulate with them through the toddler years and certainly through the teen years, which I know is like a particular oh, yeah. focus for you all. <laughs> yeah. 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 And I love your, your two terms, which I think I'm going to definitely repeat the co-regulation and dysregulation. <laughs> so yes, there are definitely a lot of co-regulation and a lot of dysregulation, especially in those teen years where they're trying to kind of figure out those boundaries. Um, Absolutely. Bounce off of those boundaries. Absolutely. Yeah. They're um, trying to figure out so much, right? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. You talk a lot about how the process of giving birth and becoming a new parent actually drives changes in the brain, which we kind of just talked about. Can you give us an idea of how these changes affect our behavior as parents? So the part that I want to just share is that there's a, a, like a maternal blueprint for lack of a better way of saying it. And when somebody says, Hey, I think I want to be a parent. It, it has been lying dormant and it's like, it gets turned on. And when that happens, there's this um, really kind of a neurobiological drive to be like, I want to become a parent. And so I want to kind of express that that's part of what can happen in terms of the intensity about like, we need to actually do what we can in order to become pregnant. It can become kind of like a single focus thing. And then oxytocin, uh, that beautiful bonding hormone, cuddling hormone, um, uh, orgasmic hormone, right? Like it comes on board during pregnancy and birth. And then through the act of feeding your child on the other side, and also just even caregiving for your child. And it fuels that maternal brain change that has occurred. And so there's this period of time in the immediate postpartum, that fourth trimester, where the social, emotional, mental, physical, spiritual well-being of this newborn is paramount. It is the number one primary objective and literally everyone and everything is a distant second. And it's that full, full newborn period, 12 weeks. It's like, wow, my brain is on hyperdrive. And it can really mess with new parents because they're like, am I feeling like um, anxiety? Like, do I need to actually go in on anxiety medication? Cause this is what's happening. I have coined the term it's evolutionary alertness. It's the, it's the way of evolution saying, hey, this little one's so, so, so dependent on you. So we're going to really prime your brain to be like, I got to do all I can for this little person, right? Yeah, I and then I would, I was, I would, I would coin my term mama, bear. I was, I became mama bear. I was oh. like, mama bear. Yeah. And if, and it flares, right. It's like okay. really, really intense. And there's yeah. a part that kind of plays into that. Like you could, you're supposed to be really sensitive to your baby's cries and that kind of thing. You could have a very loving, engaged, really wonderful partner, and they're going to try and soothe that baby. And if the baby doesn't settle quick enough, uh, you're going to say, give me the baby. Uh, that kind of stuff can actually happen in that initial period. And I wish, I wish, I wish I could say, and then after the newborn period, it goes away. And then you're the chillest parent on the face of the earth. That would be great. <laughs> that would be wonderful, Barb. Yeah, it would be wonderful, but that's not what happens. So it kind of goes back into a little bit of a dormant stage, a lesser stage, right? And then any time, any age, any stage of your kid, 
if their emotional, mental, physical, spiritual well-being is threatened, mama bear is going to come right back up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, sure it, and it can kind of mess with you a little bit. But I want you to understand that's how we've survived as a species. That maternal brain that says, wait a minute, my primary objective now is making sure that this kiddo is okay. That's going to kind of continue to repeat and come back online when it's necessary. If it feels like it is a, I want to make a distinction, if it feels like it is constant, it doesn't go down, it doesn't kind of recede, it doesn't become kind of background noise, then for sure I want you to be seeking out some support. Because there is that that fourth trimester, it's a very vulnerable time. And if you're not getting the support you need, it could actually move into a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. So that's a really important distinction for folks to know. Thank yeah. you. No, that is a very important distinction. Yeah, no, I'm just in terms of mama bear and, and um, a little anecdote at, at all stages. I mean, I've been mama bear throughout the kids, right? But just recently we were away on vacation on the beach and all of a sudden I was swimming on the beach and my uh, youngest son was swimming. And then all of a sudden, you know, someone was like, uh, Mia, he hit his head. And within them, they didn't even finish the sentence. I sprinted as fast as I could. And of course, you know, he, I mean, he had a huge welt on his head. He was fine. Thank goodness. Yeah. But he was diving into a pool. But so, yeah, mama bear comes really out of nowhere and, and it, it can drive us to the adrenaline just completely oh my gosh. Us. yeah you can actually like there's science behind it that says that you can actually do things that normally you would oh, not yeah. be able to do not capable of doing actually so that's yeah. sprinting to to rescue and to do those kinds of things for sure it comes on board and i don't know if we talked about this but my oldest was graduating from college and my son or my husband got covid a couple days before we were supposed to get on the plane to fly down for her graduation oh. and Talk about mama bear fly, you know, oh. coming in. I looked at my husband and said, go to the basement. I've right. got to figure out how we're going to celebrate Stop our this. kid. And then I oh. will talk to you. And I right. think it was like a full three or four days before I had it all set up and she was going to be celebrated. And then oh. I was like, in the basement, do you need some Gatorade? Right. How can I help you? But like those first three days, I'm like, you're on your own, dude. I got, I got a kid I got to take care of. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Oh, God, I love it. Our listeners are parents of teens who are a decade or more into this. So how do these changes in the brain evolve from when you're a parent of a newborn to being a parent of a teenager? I think it's really important to note that there's um, there's a thing called adolescence, right? There's also a thing called matrescence. And it's really important to kind of note, like, what is matrescence? Matrescence is actually what happens to the maternal brain when you become a parent. And it is a flood of sexual hormones that come on board and they really mess with everything that's going on inside of your brain. The only other time that it is mimicked, that whole brain change, is when your kid is an adolescent. So I want folks to really understand if there's a way in which you can actually go back to what it was like when you were 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 years old, and remember how messed up it all felt. Like, I feel that there's a, I have some weird ability to be like, oh, I remember exactly what it was like to be 13 years old. And it sucked. There was so many um, changes that were occurring that I couldn't even kind of stay on top of it. Um, one day I loved my family. The next day I hated them. <laughs> um, you know, one day school was like the greatest social experiment in all the world. And then I wanted to not ever go back if I could yeah. possibly. Well, yeah, it. Like there's just this like, real. oh yeah. my God, yeah. it's so, so big. Real. Yeah. So I think as parents, if we can actually really recognize 
that even the behavior that's happening, it's wildly development, developmentally appropriate. And it is so brain-based that it can sometimes take out the sting of, oh, it's me and it's our relationship. Um, I have found that in the, on my best days, Mia, because there's not, you know, I'm not always operating <laughs> oh, on my no, best day. I'm good and bad ones, Barb, all of us. 100%. But when, I, when I'm in my best day, I remember to say, it's really hard to be a kid. Yeah. And and then when you say that, God, I mean, every one of my kids, I've had a moment where they just start crying. Yeah. And they're like, it is really Doesn't hard to be a just- kid diffuse it and just make creates just empathy all around. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That's on my best day. Some days I'm like, why, why are we having this again? Why are we in this place and and what's happening? So um, the part that I, I think folks should really kind of, if they can on their best days, remember that the brain changes that are happening are really outside of a kid's control. It is a flood of hormones. It literally does not have anything to do with you truly. And that if you can actually ride the roller coaster with them, some days like, woohoo, yay, this is fun. And some days it's like, oh my God, get me off of this damn thing, right? But if you can ride it with them on the other side of that ride, there's still that relationship and that connection, right? You're gonna have periods of dysregulation as you're going up and down those hills. But ultimately there's a possibility of being even stronger, more connected if you ride through that, that crazy time with them. Yeah. We talk a lot about, um, you know, don't take it personally. It's not, it's not us parents. It's just what they're going through, what yeah. their brain is developmentally going through. Yeah. yeah. Much easier said than done. Much, but yes. Oh, much <clears throat> yeah. said than done. But yeah. if we can all just hold on to that, like you said, it, it'll help us ride through those dysregulations, hopefully, a little bit easier. So I'd also like to offer though, that I think that these little people that come to us, you know, there's a really fine line of deciding when does the teacher become the student? And I'd really just love to tell some parents that, you know, there's a, there's a beautiful humility in really realizing that the little people that are in your care are also your teachers. And so a lot of times those things, especially in the adolescent period, the pushing back part, I feel like I've got four of them and they've all, they're very unique little people, but each one of them has been like, Hey, here's something that you need to learn. And it's through the adolescent period that they're like, yeah, now I'm going to teach you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And again, on my best days, I'm like such a willing student. And on my not so best days, I'm like, I don't need to learn anything from you. (laughs) I've been through this three times before. I don't need to learn more, but oh, Oh, yes, oh, yes, oh, yes, I am. They can mm-hmm. teach us if we're in that mindset, which is exactly. yeah, easier said than done. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, this is amazing. Um, and if you, okay, so I want to get a little personal for a minute. Mm-hmm. Your kids are older and you're in the thick of supporting them, as you kind of said, making the leap from leaving at home to being independent members of society. So as someone who's very, very self-aware, as you are, of how they operate, Um, and how you operate as a parent, walk us through how this kind of was for you, them making that leap from, you know, living at home to being independent. Uh, You know, I think that um, I I might have a unique take on this, honestly, but I really feel like the minute they cut the umbilical cord, um, your kid is separating from you, as they should, 
right? There's an individuation process that needs to start and it needs to start really right from the very beginning. And it's a, it's a painful process. Sometimes I'm not saying that it's easy. You were literally one organism and you've become two like, so that's a really kind of an important thing to acknowledge. Um, but if we're doing our job as their parents, we're encouraging them to get to a place where they are able to take that next step, whatever the next step is. Right. So we're not too far out in front of them or pushing them so fast that they're like, you know, drowning, but we definitely don't want to have to be in the water with them all the time. So if there's a way in which we can actually really kind of encourage resilience as they're moving through and getting ready and making choices and making decisions with the effect, you know, the, the, the understanding that we're always there if they need us, but really allowing them to fail. I mean, I think that's a huge piece of it, right? So they need yeah. to screw up sometimes. And yeah. Um, and that's okay if they well, screw up, they the learn hard, something. Yeah. And that's the hardest part. We talk a lot about we as parents feeling comfortable, you know, getting more comfortable, seeing them uncomfortable, right? Because mm -hmm. as you said, as they're making these leaps, we don't want to be always in the water with them and we want to keep letting them move forward, but they're going to hit some bumps and they're mm -hmm. going to hit some, some, have some struggles and they're also going to fail. Mm -hmm. And so how with that mama bear instinct, you know, do we, you know, become more comfortable letting them go through these tricky times? And so the more we can do that um, and support them, but not, you know, do everything for them and let them feel the, these, these feelings of struggle. That's yeah, that's, that's the balance. Yeah. But, which is but hard. As parents though, I mean, I know that you can relate to this, there's nothing more satisfying, honestly, as a parent than watching your kid actually advocate for themselves. Yes. Like stand in their own truth, be who they are, like find themselves and then really actually make it known. Like yeah. I was just talking with my daughter last night and, and said to her, I'm not going to go into the story, but said to her, oh my gosh, I've never been as proud as I was when I actually watched you do that. And I just, I didn't, I wasn't a part of it at all. I witnessed it but I didn't do it for her. She found her own inner strength and was yeah. like, yeah, this is, I'm, I'm switching up how this is going down. And it was really yeah. beautiful to watch painful as hell, right? Oh, because yeah. it was a hard situation. And, and there, there is a pull as a parent to actually go in and try and fix it. But we can't, be you know, first. Yeah. No. No. I mean, the, the wisdom is through lived experience, right? That's how you get it. And our kids get it too. Like you don't have to be 50 and wise. You can be 13 and oh. wise. <laughs> oh, really <yeah>. wise. <laughs> really wise. <laughs> I have a follow-up question for you because I've noticed this because I have three. Was it different for you with your first, um, you know, cutting that as you, you know, umbilical cord through their development? I, I always say, you know, cutting the umbilical cord. We literally, my oldest and I, we're so, so tight and so, so close and literally cut the umbilical cord, um, you know, when he went off to college mm -hmm. and it was painful. So mm -hmm. did it, did you see a difference between your first and maybe even your second, third, just having going through it for the first time? Was there a difference, the first one versus the others? Yeah, I think so. Um, and, and part of it was just because she and I are really, really tight as well. Um, and we have gone through a lot of stuff as a mother daughter, um, situation and, but I have to say that the, 
there are two things that I would just say that were really helpful and that we've actually kind of like applied um, with all the kids. And one was before we actually did the drop off to college, we were all together and we all drove her down because it was in California and we were all together and we were staying at an Airbnb. And the night before the drop off, we had this like ceremony, for lack of a better way of saying it, about um, how much we loved her and what we were hoping for her as a freshman. And there were tears everywhere. And it was like, I mean, everybody was like, oh, my God. But it was brilliant. And I got that tip from a, a friend of mine who had older kids. Because the next day when you drop off, they're gone. Like if, if folks don't know that, when it is like you drop your kid off the school, you get them set up in the room, and then literally they're called to orientation. And your goodbye is like so ridiculously brief. Yeah. And so I'm forever grateful for the fact that we did that piece because it was such a beautiful like um, send off. In yeah. connection and we were all like able to do that together and i was pretty good like we got in the car we were driving home and it wasn't until i saw portland x number of miles away that i started sobbing so i will just like be honest about that i was like oh my god there's hundreds of miles between us and that was yeah, really like lost a limb exactly uh, it yeah. was really really challenging but i um, like the idea that you said of holding space to get it all out so yeah. then then it's kind of like okay you know let's call it what it is. Let's have just hold space, have room for this to kind of go through this all together. Cause then, you know, then the, the next day or the next hour or whatever, you're, you're kind of moving forward. Well, so because I, it's I her experience it. at that yeah. point, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. she, she should be able to, I mean, she's got her own feelings about the fact that her whole yeah. family is leaving her okay. right of in course. a completely different state. That's a big yeah. deal. She yeah. shouldn't have to actually comfort me yeah. or her yeah. siblings or, you know, all of that kind of stuff. And so there's a lot to be said. That you know, they're each different kids, though. That was one, you know, she had all of her stuff in early. She was, you know, um, ready to go. Like, uh, she got into all of these different places. We did a two-week trip to figure it out. My second was like, I only want to go to the school. I'm like, you should at least apply to another school. He's like, I only want to go to that school, but if you want to go visit, that's fine. And then, of course, he went to the one school that he wanted. I mean, it was such a done deal. Oh, yeah. And my third is like, yeah, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like, great. Right. Yeah. Let's support you in the not knowing what you want to do and not wasting a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. So I feel like there's a each child so is different. such a unique yeah. and different person that the best you can do is actually stay in relationship with them and well, and also not, meet them where they're at, not exactly. have this preconceived notion of where you want them to be, exactly. but really get to know who they are and then kind of support them where they're at, which yeah. we talk a lot about, which is yeah. so important. Yeah. Because if we don't, then it's not being true to them, to us, to anybody. So. Yeah. Well, and it, it ends up feeling like, I mean, you know, how many folks do you know that are like, I go to school for this and then they get out and they're like, I'm doing something completely different. Um, I mean, yeah. I didn't find my spark or what I wanted until I was 28. Um, so just now you said there were two things when you dropped off your first kid that you applied to the next two kids. Um, one was the ceremony you talked about. And what was the second thing that you applied that you thought was helpful in them leaving? I think it's helpful, actually, even though I still have one that is not close to leaving. He's only 13 at this point. Right. And that's the idea of like really encouraging them to find what it is they want to do and then getting out of their way. So what do I mean by that? My oldest, like she went to a school specifically to get a degree. Um, I, it was a, you know, a, a four-year bachelor's and master's. And by the end of her senior year, she's like, I'm not going to do that degree. I'm like, okay. I, I could freak out, but why would I freak out? 
I want my child to actually be happy. My son went in as a freshman with this is the degree I want to do. And now he's totally switching gears. And and it was after the first term. And I was like, okay, that sounds good to me. Like I, who my children become is not a reflection of me. And the consequences that they might have are also not a reflection of me. They're a reflection of choices that they make for themselves. My job as their parent is to support them, not to hope that they um, realize lost dreams or, or become something that I want them to become. I want them to be their own people and I want them to be happy in whatever way that they can find that. So, but what, if any, were the trickiest parts of getting them ready to launch, would you say? I don't know if it was tricky for me. It was tricky, trickier for my husband. And I'll just say that there's been a part of him that's like, has, um, as they get older, he's finding that there's a little bit more nostalgia, like, oh, oh, I wish they were still young. And I'm like, oh, I'm so glad that they're out in the world. And they're, you know, so we're coming at it at kind of cross purposes. And so I think it was trickier for him from a financial standpoint. Are they going to actually be, you know, okay and take care of themselves and this kind of stuff. And that's really kind of the paternal brain versus the maternal brain. If I can talk about that for two seconds, right? Maternal brain is my next question. Like talk to us about the maternal brain versus the maternal brain, but paternal brain versus the maternal brain. Yeah. So I want to take it all the way back to evolution again, which seems kind of weird, but evolution is like, no, the person who's got the uterus, we're going to attach all of the like emotional, physical, mental, spiritual connection for this kiddo to you. And for the non uterus (laughs) parent, right. The non gestational parent, um, you're going to come in as the provider and protector. So sometimes even in pregnancy, the paternal brain might be like, wait, we're buying another thing off of Amazon for the baby? And you're like, do you not even care about our child? And the the non-gestational parent is like, no, I'm just actually worried about the fact that you're going to be on maternity leave for 12 weeks and how are we going to pay for it? So there's there's these weird things that happen. And I and I really do feel like that kind of like flips in throughout life. That's the other piece, right? My brain is going to switch up and, and be all focused on what's happening with my kid's social life. But my oldest just had the social uh, emotional uh, component, right? Right. And my husband, she just got a, a, a new job and there's, and yay, it's good. But he's like, I mean, do you think that it's going to pay uh, enough for her to actually live in LA? I'm like, dude, she's fine. You know what I mean? Like he's right in there with like, is it going to be okay financially? I'm like, practical. it is, it's, it's totally fine. So there's that weirdness around that. And I think that that has really kind of shifted, um, for both of us, we have two really, really different perspectives in terms of even as they're being launched, like, what does that look like? I'm like thrilled and excited for them to actually be moving in this direction. And my husband's like, please come back, come back, come back. And that's just a really, I think it's, I think it's something to be aware of that almost always as parents, if you are coupled, almost always you're going to have different responses to how your kids are actually going through ages and stages and just to support each other. Cause this is the hardest work any of us are ever, ever, ever going to do, Absolutely. but also the most important work. Yeah. I was just most say, important most work. challenging, but the most rewarding. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to throw it to you, Barbara. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up? I actually just want to um, say that if you are in a coupled relationship and you find yourself on the other side of uh, starting parenthood in whatever way that comes to you, and there is a lot more challenge or a lot more conflict or a lot more like not feeling on the same page with each other, that that's really, really normal. 
I think it's kind of important to hear that on the front end of it. And for all the reasons that we've been talking about, including the neurobiological ways in which we actually kind of like come into our roles as parents. And if you're feeling really, really frustrated, turn your energy and attention out towards the fact that we do a really good job of saying um, families are so, so, so important in this culture. And then we do a really crappy job of supporting you. I just want to say that because I think like if you got energy, turn it towards policies, uh, uh, folks that are actually like not doing what they need to be doing to support families and really kind of turn your attention outward and instead actually really uh, support each other with compassion and empathy. Super, super important. No, thank you for saying that. It is so important. You, there will definitely be different perspectives and just to support each other going through those, those things is the most important, especially for the, for the the kids themselves, you know, Mm -hmm. absolutely seeing us modeling for them, how to support each other in times of kind of, um, conflict or disagreement or what have you. So Mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, thank you so much. This has been amazing (laughs) to talk to you. And I'm so glad that our listeners got a chance to hear about you and your work and about the, the maternal and paternal brain and, and how, how we, how everything changes. (laughs) It's Um, been awesome to be here. So much fun talking to you, Barb. Uh, it was, it's been great. And I mean it sincerely when I tell you that, um, that teen brain trust has been really, really helpful with this particular kiddo. Is there any, is there anywhere on your website or online that we can point our listeners to so they can find out more about you and what you do, Barb? Yeah. So if you want to look me up at bbsuarez.com, that's my stage name, uh, you'll actually see when you land that there's a whole map and there's about nine different ways I support families along the parenthood journey. But I always tell people, if you don't see an offering, but you need some support, get on a free discovery call with me. And if I can't do it for you, I'll find somebody who can. Um, Anywhere along the parenthood um, journey, I'm available for folks. They are my heroes for sure. Thanks so much once again to Barb for joining us on the podcast, sharing her guidance and her own personal parenting insights and experiences. We actually kept recording after the last question, and Barb had some interesting things to say about her experience of applying some of Teen Brain Trust's content and the unique challenges she was running into with her now 13-year-old. I'm sure it's relevant to some of you listening, so stick around after this outro to hear that little bonus snippets of the conversation. We'll link to her website in the show notes as well. One of the topics we discussed in this episode was getting teens ready to launch and leave home. If that's a topic you'd like more content around, you can download our free guide, How to Help Your Teen Leave Home with Confidence, by going to teenbraintrust.com slash helpyourteenleavehome. Finally, if you have any questions about this episode or how to help your teen leave home with confidence, please email us at info at teenbraintrust.com. Now here's that bonus moment with Barb. So you had mentioned that Team Brain Trust helped you with one specific child of yours. Tell us a little bit more about that. I am loving listening to the podcast and getting the newsletter because my fourth kiddo is 13 right now and bless his heart. Uh, he Sometimes his 13 is is more challenging than the other three's 13 all combined. And I have to say, <laughs> I think that- And it's your fourth. You've been through it times, but fourth, each one fourth. is so unique. Yeah. Well, and I think that part of it actually, Mia, is the fact that I'm parenting him now. Yeah. And his, his teen years were COVID. Yeah. And it's yeah. a specific situation. And I really do believe that parents need to know that if you had a kid that was 10, 11 years old when COVID hit, 
um, up to about age 14. There are very specific situations that happen for that age group of kids that we need to really look at, um, yeah. understand, and know that we have not seen it before, not in this way. So any any supports that folks can have um, that can help. I'm a huge fan of finding them and grabbing that in as another resource to help you. Because again, this job is incredibly important. We are really raising the next generation and we need all the support we can get to yeah. do it well. Uh -huh. We agree. It's, it's the more, the, that's what we're trying to do is just give different resources for, for all different parents. Cause we all yeah. need those resources. And like you said, we're going through this for the first time. You know, you've had three other children, but this one in particular has never, we've never got through this before. No. My youngest as well. It's yeah. a very, very different time. Um, yeah. So they're going to need different resources and different yeah. supports. So it's yeah. really important to be open to that and to really understand that. Yeah. 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 It's been awesome. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs>